Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the Wrestle Addict Radio Network. Radio Network. Hey, what's up, you guys? What is going on, everybody? What up, fam? Hey, it's me. What up, Ooses? What's up, guys? This is the Monday Night Delight. Are you looking for a network that brings you all things pro wrestling? Then look no further. Wrestle Addict Radio brings you a varied source of wrestling content. What's going on, guys? This is Willie T. My name is Mr. Press. This is your resident smart slayer. Search for Wrestle Ads Radio on all major podcast platforms and be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Buzz, buzz, guys. My name is Kate Murphy of the Kings of the Ring podcast and you are listening. And you're listening. And you're listening. And you are listening. And you are listening. Get ready for a war because you're listening. Come join the war each and every week as we fight to keep wrestling real. What's up, everybody? This is King Ricky Rose and you are listening to Wrestle Addict Radio. Radio, 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 radio. This is the 20 Bell Salute, a 20 year look back each month on wrestling, movies, video games, music, TV, and so much more exclusively on the Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon, hosted by yours truly. Mr. Fretz of the Game Changer Podcast. And welcome everybody to the 20 Bell Salute. I am Mr. Fretz. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Legendary JF. You can find this podcast on the Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon, as well as eventually my personal feed on the Fretzelmania podcast on Anchor.fm. Today, 20 years ago, we are going back into November of 1999. And before I do that, I just have a, a special announcement here. Um, there will be no 20 Bell Salute in the month of December uh, in between you know, work and you know, Christmas parties and other uh, Christmas and holiday related things uh, there. I just won't have the time. And also in between that and doing the game changer podcast with Nate, the F and great whom you can follow at real F and game. Uh, we are, we upload Sundays on Russell attic radio, the game changer podcast. So keep an eye out for that, but there will be a special holiday themed episode of the Fretzelmania podcast available, and it will be a review Oh boy, of WWECW's only pay-per-view. That's right. Mr. Fretz is covering December to Dismember from 2006. Oh boy, oh boy. I can't wait. It is November the 21st. I apologize for getting this out so late in the month. I figured this was the only week. That I could potentially do it. Uh, last week, I was back home in my old stomping grounds in Cannington, Ontario. I was born in Lindsay. I also visited Lindsay, Ontario. So big shout out to that. Big shout out to my cousin Johnny, whom I hope is hearing this. Because I think, yeah, Johnny, you'd get a kick out of it. Talking about uh, the wrestling that you and I used to have uh, phone conversations over. And used to talk over over the... Over the meat counter at the old butcher shop. Yeah, my family had a butcher shop back in the day. It was it was really, uh, really cool. So, November 1999. Let us now jump 
in in my Y2K compliant time machine and go back to life in November 1999. Firstly, in in theaters, Dogma, a uh, 1999 fantasy comedy film, which is written and directed by Kevin Smith, a.k.a. Silent Bob. So, yes, it is a movie that is part of the View Askew universe, the View Askew universe, I guess you can call it. So, of course, it, it has notable, you know, Kevin Smith friends like Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Linda Friantino, Alan Rickman, Bud Court, Selma Hayek, Chris Rock, Jason Lee, George Carlin, Janine Garofalo, Alanis Morissette, and Jason Mewes, Jay himself. Uh, I met Jay and I met... um. As a Brian O'Hallahan, a.k.a. Dante from Clerks. I met uh, both of them at Comic-Con a few years ago, and they were very, very cool. They actually knew where Sobble Beach was, which caught me by surprise. So, of course, Brian O'Hallahan, Jeff Anderson, uh, Scott Moiser, Dwight Ewell, Walt Flanagan, and Brian Johnson were also involved in this film. So, of course, the story around this film revolves around two fallen angels uh, I think they're played by Affleck and Damon, uh, who try to employ this loophole found in the Catholic dogma in the catechism to return to heaven after being cast out by God. And there's this uh, existence uh, founded on the principle that God is infallible. You know, I am a Christian, so uh, this uh, I can tell you that I, you know, God infallible, infinite, infa Okay, sure. Uh, but then this what. They had found this loophole to try to prove God wrong, thus undoing all creation. Uh, okay, I, maybe that's a bit of a theological stretch. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it could undo all creation, uh, you know, because Christian is Christianity is formed on Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, so these two prophets are sent by uh, the. Uh, are sent by the um, Seraph Metatron to stop them. And, uh, of course, the Catholic League uh, protested this film, denouncing it as blasphemy. Uh, a whole bunch of organized protests took place that delayed the release of it in several countries, and it led to at least two death threats against Kevin Smith. Wow. How Christ-like of you, church, to... Uh, Death threats. Um, let me go into the other end of my room and get my Bible, and I'll flip to Exodus chapter 20. Hey, the Ten Commandments. Uh, Thou shalt not kill. Hmm, okay. So Bartleby and Loki are these fallen angels that are eternally banished from heaven to Wisconsin for insubordination. Oh, man, I don't know if that... I'm sorry, Nate. I'm so sorry. I was just about to bash Wisconsin, but I realized that my co-host is from there, and I plan to visit Wisconsin someday to hang out with Nate, catch a WrestleCon show, and uh, have some of that famous Wisconsin cheese, huh? So there's a newspaper article uh, that arrives anonymously. Uh, the angels find their way home. Uh, there's Cardinal Ignatius Glick is uh, rededicating his church in Red Bank, New Jersey, uh, which is in the image of the Buddy Christ, you know, the winking, pointing finger, finger gun Christ that a lot of Christians uh, 
took offense with, but didn't have a problem wearing a Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt. Yeah, those, those existed. Uh, I went to a lot of uh, Christian concerts back in the day. I went to, uh, Kingdom Bound at Six Flags Darien Lake, New York. If you know what that is, uh, hit me up. So they're, you know, they're just trying to get, you know, their banished angels to undergo this rite and then die transmuting into human form. God will have no choice but allow them re-entry into heaven. Uh, the demon Azrael and these three teenage hoodlums are are in hell and they are encouraged. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I'm I'm a Protestant, so I don't know a lot of uh, Catholic doctrine. I don't know much of the Catechism. I have read it. I did um, assignments in Bible college about uh, Catholicism, and back then I didn't know what to think about it because you know there, for some reason, there is a strife between Protestants and Catholics. And you know, some of my more strict Baptist friends used to tell me that. Catholics aren't Christians, and that is a complete load of shit. Uh, I'm not going to get into a theological discussion here. If you want to know what I think, uh, come have a beer, have a coffee with me. I'd, I'd love to talk to you. I won't preach at you uh, because I believe that um, we are all equally loved, no matter what. Anyways, getting out of a churchy discussion here. This movie is just a it's just a movie and you know, the, the Catholic league took offense to it. It's saying it's heresy, but it's fiction, right? It's, it's complete fiction. And it's, uh, yeah, I thought this was a very, very funny movie. I love Jay and silent Bob movies with the exception of chasing Amy, which was one of the most, uh, which was an abomination. I did not like it. I don't, I don't, I don't like chick flicks. I don't like romantic comedies. I've been single, for a really, really long time. So these things just don't, uh, they don't sit well with me, but, uh, yeah, this was a, you know, I said, Kevin Smith, Jane Silent Bob flick, you know, Jane Silent Bob are these, uh, I, I don't, I forget which role they played in this. You know, I remember at the time this was, I was watching it, I think in about uh, 2009. So 10 years after this released, I was watching this with a friend of mine who used to identify as a Catholic and she was go, she was living at, uh, at my Bible college, going to, to a university in the city we were in. And she had to do an assignment about this or about Catholicism and film. or I, I forget what. So we watched this movie in my dorm. Then I lent it to her just to break it down and all that. And I wanted to see the final work. I wanted to see her assignment. And I was thoroughly impressed because you know th this person, she is a brilliant, brilliant mind. Um, and it was, yeah. So talking about Kevin Smith, I thought this was a fairly funny movie. There was a uh, a sequel planned for this. Unfortunately, it just uh, it it never happened. It never transpired. Uh, the Jay and Silent Bob uh, do a reboot movie is out as I as I speak here, and I believe. There is a script out for Clerks 3. So we haven't seen the last of, of Kevin Smith, you know, and thank God uh, he's healthy now. He, well, of course, we know a few years ago he had a massive heart attack and he almost died. He dropped like 100, 100 pounds or something like that. So, so yeah. Um, oh, and, and some people took offense to the fact that Alanis Morissette uh, played God. And, uh, oh, God has to be a dude. 
uh, even though uh, scripture was written at a time where women were, well, second class. So a lot of pronouns and a lot of, yeah, a, a lot of the pronouns were masculine. It, it was a masculine-dominated dem- society. So that's another people, another reason why they took offense to this. You know, I I, I love the Jersey connection to this. Shout out to the fourth wall guys. Uh, you know, I'm obviously from Canada. I've never been to Jersey. I want to go to Jersey to see the Kevin Smith's comic book store someday. So, yeah. Uh, then there's a thing with Rufus and the 13th Apostle, played by Chris Rock. And... Uh, yeah, it was just they, they they said it was a controversial movie. I th- I think it's fiction, it's harmless. I can understand and sympathize why some uh Christians would take offense to it, but like anything, it's just they get uh, a lot of Christians just get their uh their pants caught in a knot and uh try to be offended by everything. So, going away from that now, next in theaters we have, while my Wikipedia article here loads up, is Toy Story 2. I thought this was way, way later, but it was in November 24th, 1999, almost 20 years to the day. Holy crap, I feel old. So this one, of course, you know, Tim Allen, Tom Hanks, John Cusack, Kelsey Grammer and Stinky Pete. I did not know that. You know, Don Rickles is Mr. Potato Head. The late Jim Varney, a.k.a. Ernest P. Worrell from the Ernest movies as Slinky Dog. John Ratzenberger as Ham because John Ratzenberger is in every Pixar movie ever made. Uh, Andy Potts as Bo Peep. Wayne Knight. Hello, Newman. Hello, Jerry. As uh, Al McWiggan. Uh, Laurie, Laurie Metcalf as Andy's mom. And Jonathan Harris as the cleaner. Joe Ranft as Wheezy. My goodness, just what an all-star cast we have here. Uh, Toy Story 4 was out this year, and I refused to watch it because the trilogy of Toy Story, Toy Story 3, which was out 10 years after this, in I think it was 2009, 2010, ended perfectly. It had like the perfect teardrop. I was in my 20s. I was an adult, uh, reflecting on my childhood ending. So... In this one, Andy prepares to go to cowboy camp with Woody, but while playing with Woody and Buzz, he accidentally tears Woody's arm. Andy's mom puts Woody on the shelf, and Andy leaves without him. He goes on the forgotten toy shelf with a toy penguin named named Wheezy, which was played by Joan Ranft. Joe Ranft. Oh, my goodness, I can't pronounce that name. And, of course, he ends up in this Misfits Toys. He ends up back at a toy store, and he learns that he himself, Woody, is based on an old cartoon called Woody's Roundup, along with Jesse, Bullseye the Horse, and Stinky Pete the Prospector. And this whole time, I did not know that Kelsey Grammer, Fraser Crane, Beast from X-Men, he is Stinky Pete. I didn't clue into it. And of course, we see you know Buzz at inadvertently frees the em- the evil Emperor Zerg, who his who in the Buzz Lightyear universe is his um, uh, uh, villain. And of course, we know uh, the, the toys all come back and happily ever after. Uh, 
Andy sees all the rest of the Woody's wound up toys on the desk. Hey, mom, you got me all these toys. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I did. So Toy Story 2, uh, Pixar, Disney Plus just came out, and I've been just going through, you know, DuckTales and uh, Goof Troop and some of the old shorts. I watched Steamboat Willie. I mean, that that is like from one of my, my grandparents who are all passed away now. That's it when they were kids. You know, my grandpa was, my grandpa Hubbard, you know, my grandpa on my mom's side was born in 1921. So I think he could remember Steamboat Willie, you know, if, if, he, if he was still with us. Uh, just Disney Plus, this is on Disney Plus. All, all the Pixar stuff's on, on there. It's just, I love it. I mean, everyone on Russell Attic Radio has been talking about, talking about it lately. So I'm the latest one. When I record with Nate tomorrow night after work, uh, we'll probably reference it again as well. So yeah, Toy Story 2. Yeah, I had to break away from that uh, theological churchy talk and get into some uh, Pixar. Now, Sleepy Hollow, a 1999 uh, supernatural horror film directed by Tim Burton. And of course, this is loosely based on Washington Irving's 1820 short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, you know, Ichabod Crane, The Headless Horseman. It stars Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci. Uh, Jeffrey Jones. So, of course, this is uh, police constable Ichabod Crane sent to New York City to investigate a series of murders in the village of Sleepy Hollow by the Headless Horseman. I remember this movie, or at least this adaptation of it, was really, really gross. It was really gory. Uh, I don't think I've seen it since then. I mean, 1999, I was 15, so I was starting to like you know bloody movies a little bit uh but still i wasn't a big fan of this one uh that's about it for for movies uh there's probably some more notable releases but you know i didn't really go over them and i didn't honestly feel like it because you know there there was just non-stop stuff here in movies in 1999 i know for video games uh this is interesting so we had Spyro the Dragon 2 Ripto's Rage for the PS1. Of course, this was just, you know, uh, Sony's attempt at making another mascot. You know, Sega had Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, Nintendo had uh, Super Mario Bros. Had Link from Legend of Zelda. Uh, PlayStation had, you know, I guess Crash Bandicoot and Spyro can be like the the Link and the Mario of the uh, Sony universe. And, you know, that had a successful career. Spyro 2. I believe the Spyro remakes have launched on the Nintendo Switch and the PS4 just this year, which is awesome. Uh, I haven't played Spyro since 1999. I used to buy the the occasional PlayStation magazine back when, you know, every month you got a demo disc. Oh, man, remember demo discs? Yeah, <laughs> and those were awesome. So, and Spyro 2 was probably among the demos that I've played. Uh you know, my cousin had a PlayStation for a couple of years before I bought my own. And I, of course, like any other console, I bought near the end of its life cycle. Like I bought my first, I didn't buy a Nintendo 64 until 2002. I didn't own a PlayStation 1 until I think 99, 2000. So I, I had a hunch of buying everything at the end of, of its life. Uh, well, when I had my own money, right? Because we were a Nintendo and a Sega household and we weren't, my family wasn't rich. We were, we made enough to get by. We didn't have the super high end electronics that my friends did. And that's okay. 
you know, I can go to my cousins and play Spyro the Dragon and then go home and play Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm cool with that. So, of course, we also had, you know, uh, the first Medal of Honor game, uh, the video game adaptation by EA of Tomorrow Never Dies, the James Bond movie. Oh, that's another movie from uh, this time in 1999, and it sucked. I mean, it was Pierce Brosnan was a great Bond, but I only liked him in Goldeneye. Uh, this one was it had a really, really corny, corny joke when he was um, he slept with I think the like this the girl that he bangs in this movie is called Christmas Jones. Uh, I thought Christmas only came once a year. That's a Glenn Quagmire joke, Bond. Come on. Oh yes, Tomorrow Never Dies. By EA, uh, trying to capitalize on the success of uh, GoldenEye. It didn't even touch it. This game sucked. This movie sucked. Uh, we had Chrono Cross, which was the follow-up, or was it the prequel, to uh, Chrono Trigger. Uh, amazing Super Nintendo RPG that came out near the end of their life cycle, which is now, uh, I believe it's on... No, it's. I don't think it's on the Super Nintendo Mini, but if you uh, modify your Super Nintendo Mini through certain means that are probably completely legal <laughs> you can put chrono trigger on there and i've been playing it uh i haven't touched it in a couple of months but i got to a very far point in the game that i never did when i was a kid uh pokemon gold and silver came out in japan and this is almost a full circle moment because just last week uh pokemon sword and shield came out from the nintendo switch and i've been playing the crap out of it at this point in time i wasn't playing pokemon i didn't start playing pokemon until i was Man, I'm in my mid-30s now. Maybe it was when I turned 30. Uh, around the time my my uh, my nephew was born. Uh, it was his fifth birthday last week. Happy birthday, David. <laughs> and Donkey Kong 64 by Rare. You know, that came out this month, too. It was uh, Donkey Kong's four-way into, uh, into 3D. Uh, it had big-time vibes of, you know, Ocarina of Time, of Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, it was, I didn't play this game when it came out. I think I played it well after. And because I won't be doing a, um, episode in December, I figured I would cover a few, uh, December releases that include Gran Turismo 2, a very, at the time, very quote unquote, realistic, fun, uh, racing game for the PlayStation. Harvest Moon 64, Mario Party 2 comes out in Japan. The game that ruined more friendships than Monopoly and Risk combined, and uh, Quake Three Arena for the for the PC and the PS2, but that wouldn't come out until 2000 on the PS2. Legend of Dragoon came out in Japan, and yep, that is it for the video games. Quickly as a foray into television, uh, Family Guy was on a break until December, but their December episode was, of course, the Y2K spoof, Da Boom, where a man in a giant chicken suit warns Peter that Y2K is coming and computers will fail and planes will fall from the sky, causing the annihilation and the end of times. And there was a movie, I think, called The End of Days by Arnold Schwarzenegger this month, too. My goodness, there's a bunch of full circle moments here. Take a shot. I still have a bit of beer in my can from last night. I know, gross, but who cares? Just kidding. That wasn't anything. Um, so, The Simpsons, season 10. Uh, we had when you dish upon a star, uh, a parasailing accident sends Homer crashing into the secret home of Kim Bassinger and Alec ba Basinger and Alec Baldwin. 
they hire Homer as a personal assistant. Ron Howard's involved in this. And uh, the next one for, for November, a couple of more for November, we have Doan in the Wind, where there is a uh, Homer goes searching for his middle initial. You know, Homer, J. Simpson. What does the J stand for? It stands for J. And, you know, his mom is a hippie. He finds a mural in a commune where his mother once lived. He becomes a hippie himself, and hijinks ensue. Uh, Lisa gets an A. Uh, Lisa is sick from school, becomes obsessed with a video game, Dash Dingo. I think you know what that is spoofing. So she has to study for a book on Wind in the Willows. Bart helps her cheat. Bart and Nelson help her cheat to get an A triple plus. There's four pluses. Nope, that's Drambui. And at the same time, this is uh, Springfield Elementary is qualifying for an assistance grant. Lisa is guilted by uh, her guilt of cheating because, you know, this uh, this grade helped bump up the school's quality. Hi, Super Nintendo Chalmers is from this one. <laughs> so, and I believe... This at the same time, uh, Homer, uh, he gets a pet lobster named Pinchy. Uh, it engorges in food and gets fat like Homer. He becomes mostly attached to it and cannot make it his pet. And in Simpsons fashion, Homer accidentally boils it to death while giving him a hot bath on the stove. And he eats it. And my goodness, does he eat that lobster. Oh, boy, what do we have? We have Homer Simpson in kidney trouble. So, you know, uh, Grandpa Simpson has to get a kidney transplant, and they're trying to get Homer to uh, donate his kidney. He cowers away. Um, then there's an episode. Oh, no, this one doesn't come out until January. So, uh, yeah, that's it for the Simpsons in here. We have, um, uh, as I said, Family Guy was on hiatus. Uh, Futurama. Oh, hi. I am going to go to... I am going to go to Futurama. So when aliens attack, uh, episode 12, season one of Futurama, of course, this was Lure from the planet Omicron Persei 8, is outraged when the final episode of Earth show single female lawyer Allie McBeal is disrupted by technical difficulties that Fry causes by spilling slurm on the uh, board at the uh, TV studio. And, you know, they have to reenact, the Futurama folks have to reenact. The Planet Express crew has to reenact it with Leela, the one-eyed Cyclops monster, reenacting uh, Ally McBeal, their, their version of it. And then the next one is Fry and the Slurm Factory, the 13th and final episode of Season 1. And this is the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory spoof with Fry going to the Slurm Factory, learning that his beloved Slurm the year 3000 soda is secreted shat out, I think, by a giant slug. Yet he still drinks it. Ew! Oh, fry! Oh, right. Fry! Oh, right. And just, he still likes to drink slurm. <laughs> that might be an illustration of what uh, pop does to our insides now my goodness i have vamped on and on about movies tv shows and video games i am going to briefly touch on music and what's going on in the other wrestling feds at this point in time so i'm going to take a quick non-commercial commercial break and be right back 
What's up, everyone? This is Mike number two of the Kings of the Rings podcast, a.k.a. Will Tarashuk, a.k.a. the founder, a.k.a. the proprietor. And you guys, do you have $5? I'm employed now, so I can afford $5 a month. And if you can afford just five American dollars a month, that's an Abraham Lincoln, not the brass one. You can get some great content on our Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon page with awesome content, including Wrestle Wars, where me, yours truly, goes back to the Monday Night Wars and goes week by week and see who really one in my scoring system. You have Watch the Throne with our own King Ricky Rose and a bunch of other content, mainly Jeff talking about his tattoos. So join us for $5 a month on the Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon page. You won't regret it. You're going to love it. And we're going to love having you. Peace. Well, well, it's the big show. Yes, it's a big Welcome back to the 20 Bell Salute, part of the Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon and the Fretzelmania Anchor.fm feed. I am Mr. Fretz at the Legendary JF. Of course, you can follow us on Wrestle Addict Radio at Addict underscore Wrestle on all the social media platforms. Listen to uh, myself and Nate's show, The Game Changer Podcast, Sundays on Wrestle Addict Radio. Wednesdays, oh well, actually only one more Wednesday, we'll get uh, DFDC, Jeff Pomaccio. Uh Not Your Mama's Soap Opera is, it's coming to an end. And I gotta say, Jeff, um, if you're hearing this, I want to thank you for uh, being being part of our family at Russell Attic Radio. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to Not Your Mama's Soap Opera. I really like the the, the, you said you, you bring up the entertainment side in sports entertainment, and it's uh, it's awesome. I, mean, I I I have to admit I haven't listened to the past couple, but I really want to get caught up. You know, I'm not on the night shift anymore, so I used to load up my phone and listen to as many of our podcasts as I possibly could. But I just want to thank you for your insight, for you know, for your friendship. I consider you a friend. And I really hope that you still uh, keep in touch with us. So, Jeff, here's to you, my here's to you, my good friend. Cheers, and yeah, it's uh, when one when one door closes, another one opens. So I hope I hope the best for you, and I hope you're still creating content because you're you're damn good at it, man. Now, also on Russell Attic Radio Thursdays, the Kings of the Rings podcast, and Saturdays your weekly dose of kayfabe consumption by the fourth wall wrestlecast now to music of 1999 for the rest of the year smooth by santana and rob thomas will be number one and it's probably going to take us into the year 2000 as well it's a song that never never goes away and if i may i'll take us back into 1999 with a little bit of smooth now if my phone will actually hurry up 
Of course not. It is going to play an ad first because, because reasons. Here we go. 1999, in a nutshell, my friends, here we have Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20 walking down the street. We have some guy in a, here we go. Yeah, that's enough of that. I never want to hear that song again. It was so overplayed. So in news in music here, we had um, Gary Sharon leaves Van Halen. Now, who is Gary Sharon, you might ask? Well, do you remember the band Extreme from the 1980s? Uh, I'm specifically looking at you, uh, Doc Haas, JC Bones, and Smarky. Uh, you guys are all in my age range, so you'd probably know Extreme. They had, you know, the famous ballad from, I think it was 1989, 1990, called More Than Words. Well, Gary Sharon from Extreme, he was briefly a part of Van Halen. You know, Van Halen is one of my favorite bands of all time. I think they're my top three, top five. Like, well, they're, they're definitely in my top three for sure. So, David Lee Roth... Uh, briefly reunited with uh, Van Halen in 1996 after Sammy Hagar left the band. And uh, I have Sammy Hagar's book over there on my bookshelf staring at me. And it's, it was written at a time when there was a little bit of strife. You know, the past couple of months uh, we've been hearing rumor and innuendo about Eddie Van Halen's health. Uh, uh, he's still alive. As far as I know, you know, knock on wood, you know, Eddie's, top five guitarists of all time fight me um and they produced uh the worst the, the worst album van halen ever released it's called van halen three even though it was like their i don't know 10th 12th album that so we had van halen one van halen two fair warning for women women and children first 1984 5150 ou812 for Unlawful, Carnal Knowledge, Van Halen Live, Balance, and then Van Halen. Yeah, their 11th album was called Van Halen 3. Yeah, and I just went through their whole history. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so it was bad. And luckily, Gary Sharon was not long for Van Halen and left. Uh, 1970s rock star Gary Glitter was jailed for child pornography. Oh, scum right there. Corn produces the album Issues, releases the album Issues, and they perform the entire album at the Apollo Theater in New York, thus becoming the first rock band to ever perform at the Apollo. It debuts at number one with 575,000 copies sold in its first week, including by yours truly, Mr. Fretz. Will Smith releases his second solo studio studio album willennium and yes it sucks <laughs> uh and you know that that was my brief foray in into music news i really wanted to cover the gary sharon thing because van halen is a band that's near and dear to my heart um so oh i got one more university of oregon student jeffrey levy 
having downloaded MP3s without permission, is the first person convicted for the Copyright Infringement Act under the Net Act of 1997. Huh. He is sentenced to two years of probation and a limit on internet access. Yes, this was when internet access had a limit. Other than being plugged in 24-7 like the rest of us. So, because I said I'm not covering December 1999, uh, let's see... Uh, there's, there's not a lot here. You know, George Harrison survives a knife attack by an intruder in his fire park home. December 31st, the millennium version of the New Year's Eve special celebrating the arrival of the year 2000. Had a show with Barbara Streisand at the MGM Grand, the Eagles at the Staples Center, Billy Joel at MSG, and Metallica and Kid Rock and Ted Nugent at the Pontiac Silverdome. Hmm. WrestleMania 3 connection there. But the biggest concert that night was Fish in front of 75,000 people at the Big Cypress Indian Reservation in Florida. Wow. Fish drew 75,000 people. Man, you probably would have got a contact high at that concert. So I'm going to briefly touch into... WCW and ECW before I get into Survivor Series 99 here. WCW Mayhem. No, not the video game by EA that sucked balls, but the pay-per-view that also kind of sucked balls. <laughs> it took place November 21st, 1999, 20 years today from the Air Canada Center in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, my neck of the woods, the T-Dot, the Six. I was not born in Toronto, but I was <laughs> I spent a bit of time in Toronto. So there were 12 matches contested at this event. There was a notable 32-man tournament for the vacated WCW title. Uh, the title was held up after uh, Sting attacked a referee at Halloween Havoc, and Goldberg defeated Sting for the title in an unsanctioned match. So right away, Russo was just Russoing the crap out of the place here. So I'm going to get into the tournament brackets here. We had the first round. We had Bret Hart and Gold, Bret Hart defeating Goldberg. Eddie Guerrero, uh, Perry Saturn defeating Eddie Guerrero. Norman Smiley defeating Bam Bam Bigelow. Billy Kibben defeating Conan. Lex Luger receiving a, receiving a bye after the Diamond Dallas Page and David Flair had a draw. Mang defeats Medusa. Okay. Sting defeats Brian Nobbs. Chris Benoit defeats Dean Malenko. My goodness, this is the long tournament bracket. I'm not going through the whole thing. This is the first round. Laparka and Evan Courageous. But then it says Medusa in the next round. So I don't know what happened. I am not going to investigate the WCW. Mance, you're also you're already doing the Lord's work with late WCW. I don't need to step on your toes. Uh, Scott Hall defeating Sid Vicious. Ernest Miller and Lash, Lash LaRue defeating Ernest Miller. Buff Bagwell defeating Stevie Ray. Vampiro defeating Berlin. Kurt Henning defeating Disco Inferno. And Jeff Jarrett defeating Booker T. Uh, the finals of this was Bret Hart and Chris Benoit. So... In the pay-per-view, we had Chris Benoit defeating 
Jeff Jarrett in a tournament semifinal match. Evan Courageous defeating Disco Inferno to win the WCW Cruiserweight title. Norman Smiley defeating Brian Nobbs for the inaugural WCW Hardcore Championship. The Revolution, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, and Asia with Shane Douglas defeating the filthy animals of Eddie Guerrero, Billy Kidman, and Tori Wilson with Conan in an intergender elimination tag match. Buff Bagwell defeating Kurt Hanning in a retirement match. Hmm, how long did his retirement last? About as long as Ric Flair's 75 retirements. Bret Hart defeated Sting by submission in his semifinal match for the championship tournament going on to the final. Vampira with Jerry Only. Yes, that Jerry Only, the bassist for the Misfits, defeated Berlin with the wall by submission in a dog collar match that lasted four minutes and 57 seconds. Mang defeated Lex Luger by submission. Tongan death grip. You're not getting out of it. Scott Hall defeated Booker T for the United States and television championships that were both on the line. I think Scott Hall just had the TV title on him for months. He probably found it in the bin like uh, Jim Duggan did. David Flair fought Kimberly Page to a no contest. I don't even want to investigate that. Oh, boy. <laughs> Goldberg defeated Sid Vicious in an I Quit match. And in the finals for the vacant WCW Heavyweight Championship, Bret Hart defeated Chris Benoit by submission. And that famous spot where Bret is getting Chris into the sharpshooter and Chris is just fighting fighting like hell to get out of it, of course, was immortalized in the intro to the hit Fox comedy, Malcolm in the Middle, which I believe came out just after this, maybe in the year 2000. I'll, I'll get into it eventually. So, wow, that's um, that's quite a card. Maybe I'll watch it someday. I was going to watch it in preparation of this, but November has just been... Uh, a busy month. You know, this month I started, I started in November doing inventory prep at my workplace. I took last week off this week. I'm catching up on everything. So something's going to have to fall into the cracks. And unfortunately it's going to be next month's, uh, uh, 20 bell. So briefly here, November to remember 1999 ECW live from the Bert Flick Kinger Center in Buffalo, New York. Who named that? That sounds like the Butthead Memorial Auditorium from The Simpsons. That's a joke from my all-time favorite Simpsons episode, Lisa on Ice. So we have here Spike Dudley defeating Simon Diamond, who is accompanied by someone named Dick Hertz. He doesn't have a Wikipedia page, so I'm not investigating. Little Guido with Sally Graziano, defeated Nova. Jerry Lynn, oh, I'm sorry, Jerry Lynn, defeated Yoshihiro Tajiri and Super Crazy in a three-way dance. The Baldies, Spanish Angel, Tony DeVito, and Vito LaGrasso, and PN News, defeated New Jack and the Hard core chair swinging freaks being Axel Rotten and the late Balls Mahoney. Sabu with Bill Alfonso defeated the late Chris Candido with 
Tammy Lynn Sitch via submission in a singles match. Mike Awesome defeated Masato Tanaka, retaining his ECW title. Rob Van Dam retained the television title over Taz. And in the main event, Rhino and the Impact players, just incredible in Lance Storm, with Jason Knight and Don Marie, defeated Raven, Tommy Dreamer, and the Sandman, who were accompanied by Francine. So you're damn right there was going to be a cat fight, cat fight in this match. Now, finally, I'm into Survivor Series 1999, and I'm going to let you know right now that I did not watch this show recently in preparation for this. However, in the past calendar year, I have watched it, and I have seen it numerous times. Now, my most recent upload on the Anchor.fm feed is, of course, rebooking Who Ran Over Stone Cold Steve Austin. The angle took place this night, and if you want to know what I think, how I think WWE could have, should have booked it, well, you're going to have to listen to that. Uh, Please pass it on and get everyone to listen here. So, Survivor Series 1999, it took place in the Joe Louis Arena in St. Bull. Wow. I almost said St. Louis. I'm going to get my ass kicked. In Detroit, Michigan, this was, of course, the home of the Detroit Red Wings. And at this point in time, they were defending Stan. No, they were not. The Dallas Stars were the defending Stanley Cup champions, and they won the Stanley Cup with Brett Hull's foot in the crease. Yeah, Mr. Fretz's uh, hockey hockey knowledge is probably going to break out into into some of these the odd time. So... This mat, this pay-per-view, it had a bunch of, well, Survivor Series matches for the first time in a while. Uh, of course, 1998 had the Deadly Game Tournament. Uh, Nate and I reviewed that in the Game Changer archives pre-Wrestleotic Radio, mind you. So go through his archives on Spreaker.com and you'll, you'll find it there. I think that was the first uh, podcast that I did with Nate. So, yeah, that was kind of cool. And now, almost a year later, we're we're on a network. How about that? So, we started off here with a 4-on-4 Survivor Series match with D'Lo Brown, the Godfather, and the Headbangers, defeating the Acolytes and the Dudley Boys. Oh, this was this year's four doinks match, wasn't it? So, we had D'Lo Brown and the Godfather, who have been tagging together kind of as a pimps or us kind of team. You know, the Godfather was also tagging with uh, Val Venus, a porn star and a pimp. I mean, that's how can you not tag them together? I think they were called supply and demand. I think they wrestled at no mercy. So D'Lo Brown and the Godfather, they were coming out dressed as pimps. The headbangers came out with uh, Afro wigs. So this is this year's four doings match. Uh, Thrasher was eliminated by Bradshaw from a clothesline from hell. Uh, Mosh was eliminated by Bubba Ray. I believe it was a Bubba Bomb or a Diamond Cutter. Uh, Bradshaw, Farouk, Devon Dudley, they were all um, disqualified and double count added, which left Bubba Ray to be eliminated by D'Lo Brown, and your survivors are the pimps. Coming up next year, we had Kurt Angle. Oh, oh, the debut of Kurt Angle. My... uh, my goodness, just this was absolute gold. Everything leading up to his debut, the cheesy vignettes, like I'm the first, I'm the real, uh, real, a uh, celebrated real athlete in the WWF. He won the gold medal at the uh, Olympic Games in Atlanta. And this is, he's bringing in this dorky, 
real wrestler in parentheses um, gimmick into this. And then in this match, he uh, he's just breaking out, you know, the old school fundamentals, the boring wrestling, if you will. And then in the middle of the match, you know, boring, boring. You do not boo an Olympic gold medalist. Grabs the mic, middle of a, of a six-minute match. You do not boo an Olympic gold medalist. So, yeah, you had uh, Kurt Angle winning immediately with the uh, the Olympic Slam, and an undefeated streak is born. A career is born, and Kurt Angle will go down as one of the absolute greats. And now we had another Survivor Series elimination match with the British Bulldog and the Mean Street Posse. You know, Joey Abs, Pete Gaston. No, I'm sorry, Gangrel, Mark Henry, Steve Blackman, and Val Venus defeating the British Bulldog and the Mean Street Posse. Joey Abs, Pete Gass, and Rodney. Uh, the, uh, the Mean Street Posse are immediately jobbed out. Pete Gas is eliminated by Steve Blackman with a pump kick. Gangrel hits the impaler on, on Rodney. Joey Abs eats a splash or a world's strongest slam. And then uh, British Bulldog goes on a tear. Just uh, superplexes Gangrel. Eliminated. Hits a fisherman suplex on Steve Blackman. Eliminated. Like, oh my gosh. Bulldog's going to come back and do the sweep. He's going to do the... <clears throat> the... Boston Bruins come back against my beloved Maple Leafs from Game 7. Oh, But no, Val Venus eliminates the British Bulldog, who I believe at the time was the European champion, if I am not mistaken, unless Val... No, Val Venus won the European Championship the next month at Armageddon, which I'm not reviewing. And yeah, so Val Venus and Mark Henry are your sole survivors. And in the next match, we had the Big Show, who was supposed to tag with, I believe, Blue Meanie and Kyantai. But he, uh, yeah, he attacked all of his teammates backstage, and he single-handedly jobbed out uh, Midian, Prince Albert, and Viscera before the Big Boss Man uh, just walks away and gets himself counted out and gets himself eliminated. Next match here, we had China retaining the Intercontinental Championship against Chris Jericho. Now, they immediately start attacking each other when Jericho shoved down Miss Kitty. Uh, both women kicked Jericho outside of the ring. Uh, China throws Jericho into the stairs. Uh, Jericho taunts and teases Miss Kitty throughout the match and even uh, kissed her. Oh, what a, what a, he was he a baby face or a he, I can't remember what he was at this point in time. Uh, Kitty started fighting Jericho as final China fought back with a spear and an Irish whip in the post. Jericho quickly regained momentum and powerbombed China for a near fall. Attempted a lion salt, but China avoided the move. Uh, she hit Jericho with the DDT. Ref bump. Jericho takes advantage with China with a championship belt. China, but then you know, China hit Jericho with a pedigree, attempted the Hurricanrana, counters into the wall as Jericho. Um and yeah, uh, Jericho places China on the top rope. Maybe we're getting a uh, superplex, but Miss Kitty distracts the referee. China hits a low blow, and oh my god, a pedigree from the top rope! 
to win the match and retain the intercontinental. That was ugly. That was an ugly top rope pedigree. CM Punk did that move as a finisher in the Indies in Ring of Honor, the Pepsi Plunge. China, I, I don't like to speak all of that, but my goodness, China, uh, no, no, no. So we had Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys going up against Too Cool and the Holly Cousins. Uh, Hardcore Holly pinned Edge with the Schoolboy. Scotty pinned Matt Hardy after a Tornado DDT. Jeff Hardy pinned Scotty after a 450 Splash. Eliminated by, by Grandmaster Sexay after the Tennessee Jam. Christian eliminates Grandmaster with a Diving Reverse DDT. Uh, and then hit Crush, and then hit Crash Holly with the Impaler, but then he was eliminated by Holly with a victory roll. Hardcore Holly, the big shot. He is your sole survivor in this match. The New Age Outlaws defended the Tag Team Championship against Mankind and Al Snow. This match sucked. Uh, it, no. Uh, yeah, Billy Gunn hits the Texas Pile Driver to win the match. It's like a kind of a spinning pile driver variant. Yeah, no, no. And now the main event, what we're all here for. Stone Cold Steve Austin was, was run over by a mystery assailant and he was hospitalized and thus could not be in the main event. We thought we were going to get the rock versus triple H for the hundredth time. The uh, 1999 variant of John Cena versus Randy Orton or Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> so there was a substitute announced. Like, and their opponent, oh, Howard Finkel. Oh, gotta love him. Well, Big Show comes out. Uh, so we have here the Rock and Triple H started double teaming the big man who fought back by, you know, clotheslining both opponents. The Rock hits Big Show with people's elbow. But, of course, The Rock intervenes. Rock, there's a referee bump. Rock throws Triple H into the top turnbuckle. Excuse me, there's a rock bottom. <clears throat> rock attempts pinfall. Refs out. Shane McMahon comes in in a replacement referee outfit. Triple H kicks out. The Rock hits another rock bottom. Big Show comes back in, pulls McMahon out of the ring before um, trying to count, while trying to count. Attacks the rock on the broadcast table, hitting Triple H with a stomp, an elbow drop, and a leg drop. DX tries to interfere in this match, but Vince McMahon runs into the ring, hits Triple H with the championship belt. Big Show hits the showstopper choke slam and defeats Triple H to win his first WWF championship. Now, I didn't mention in the Big Boss Man um, match that the Big Show won that there's been a little bit of Big Boss Man behaving badly. Shout out to the Attitude Air podcast. Where the big boss man was um, making fun of the big show for mourning the loss of his father. And, uh, of course, you know, he smashed his uh, his, prized, um, his prized dad's watch. He went to his mother's house and said that the big show is a bastard. Big nasty bastard. You're a nasty bastard and your mama said so. Uh, and then, of course, the infamous spot where the big, uh, big boss man crashes the big show's daddy's funeral. And, you know, uh, he hit, hitches the coffin to his cop car. Okay, when I'm dead, I have anyone who's listening to this. When I'm dead, you have my permission to do that. <laughs> and the uh, Big Show grabs the coffin and starts hanging onto it while the boss man is driving away with it. 
And of course, he swerves a corner. Big Show hits a flip and lands right on his big head. Oh, that, that was just the most unintentionally hilarious thing that came out of wrestling that year. Uh, so that's Survivor Series 99. In a nutshell, I apologize that I didn't uh, dedicate the time to watch this. Uh, but as I said, I've watched it in the calendar year, and I think I had it on DVD, so I watched it a bunch of times. So I, I know this event. I apologize if I didn't get any, you know, the, the usual commentary jokes because Jerry Lawler was out there making jokes. Oh, somewhere in the middle. Oh, I didn't mention here. I'm sorry. I forgot. There was a match in the middle of this, which was, uh, oh, Deborah, the fabulous Moolah, Mae Young and Tori defeated Ivory Jacqueline Luna and Terry Reynolds in a minute 50. Thankfully it wasn't an elimination match because, well, a lot of the women at this point in time couldn't work. Kane defeats X-Pac by disqualification as well. Uh, yeah, there was just... Um, K, uh, Triple H interfered and hit Kane in the face with the belt because uh, Triple H was... I mean, Kane was beating the crap out of X-Pac, former friends, tag team partners, uh, now turned enemies. X-Pac becoming an absolute despicable piece of crap heel. And this is where I think that X-Pac heat term was born so that's it for this one folks thank you very much for listening for tuning in of course on the russell attic radio patreon i'm and my personal feed on anchor.fm where everything i record eventually <laughs> winds up so next month uh no 20 ball salute i'm coming back in january of 2020 with royal rumble 2000 cactus jack versus triple h in the street fight the controversial finish of the Rumble two of the 2000 Rumble match, but next month Fretzelmania feed you're going to get December to dismember, possibly in the next couple of weeks, maybe even before December. I might record it and release it closer to the holiday season. So, thank you very much. God bless you. I love you. Keep wrestling real. <laughs>